Are you tired of battling through the dreaded pre-period week or struggling with menopause symptoms? It's time to reclaim control with Estro Control. When I'm not feeling like myself, I'm not able to show up as my best self for my family, my friends, or my podcast team. Luckily, I found Estro Control. The formula is designed to make that time of the month a breeze so you can finally feel like yourself again. And for those battling through menopause or perimenopause, Hormone Harmony is here to help. With their science-backed adaptogenic blend, you can conquer hot flashes, low moods, poor sleep, and more. Happy Mammoth, the company behind Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Join the thousands of women who swear by Happy Mammoth's products. It says something that a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Plus, the adaptogenic blend helps your body adapt to hormonal changes naturally. Whether you're dealing with PMS woes or menopause struggles, Happy Mammoth has you covered. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code MURDERISH at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code MURDERISH for 15% off today. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Welcome to another episode of Murderish. A while back, I told the story of Justin Hopper, who was murdered by two of his classmates in the 1990s. Today's episode is a follow-up to the Justin Hopper episode. If you haven't listened to the Justin Hopper episode yet, please pause here and go back and listen before you go any further. Otherwise, this episode may not make much sense to you. In this follow-up episode, I spoke with another friend of Justin's, and she gives additional perspective into who he was. She was in contact with him in the days leading up to his death, and she also attended a portion of the murder trial that resulted after Justin's death. The woman I spoke with preferred to remain anonymous, and I will respect that. You'll hear a few beeps during this episode to keep her name private. I want to give a quick shout out to a couple of new Patreon supporters, Amy Duncan and Meredith Daly. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate you both. All right, let's get into the episode. Jamie, how are you? I'm good, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for getting on the phone with me. I've been really anxious to talk to you, and I'm really happy that you reached out. Me as well. Thank you for contacting me back. Yeah, of course. So, you know, obviously you have some insight on the um, Justin Hopper murder, which I covered in an episode of Murderish. And, um, you know, when I did the episode... I was able to have a friend of Justin's uh, on the podcast um, named Susie, and she was able to give me insight, you know, into kind of who he was as a person and things like that. But what I struggled with was I really didn't have anybody who could give me insight into Ryan and Aaron as well. And so if you've got any insight, you know, into them, I'd be really interested in hearing that. I do have some questions. And you had asked me a question earlier to answer your question. No, I did not know Justin. I didn't know Aaron or Ryan. I, I didn't know anybody involved. I graduated from Redlands High School in 1996. Which year did you graduate? 96 as well. 
Okay. So obviously we're a little younger than uh, Aaron, Ryan, and Justin. So it was kind of like, you know, when I got to high school, I had always heard about it because as you know, in Redlands, these things just really don't happen very often. And so if somebody's murdered, you know, people just tend to hear about, they know about it. I just always remembered people talking about it. I never really knew all the details in my mind. You know, I always would hear rumblings that it was over drugs and guns, but I didn't really know what that meant or who the people involved were. So when I started the podcast, that was definitely a story I wanted to tell just for my own curiosity to kind of understand what really happened. But I still do have a lot of questions and we can get into that. I think my main question, you know, remains that I never really saw a true motive for the killing. It seems that, you know, when it came out and when they had the trial, the prosecutor said it was basically trading guns for money. Justin was supposed to give Aaron and Ryan drugs and they were going to give him guns in return. But I don't know how that turned into a murder. You know, I don't know why they wanted to kill him or, or why they did kill him. So that's my, my biggest question. But I guess I should start by kind of saying, I know you're a little bit younger than the boys, but how, what is your connection to all of this? I think you have a family member who was friends with one of the suspects or the murderers. No, no, absolutely not. I grew up, the way I know them, yes, they, they were a couple years older than me. And the way that I knew Ryan Bangs was because we grew up pretty much in the same neighborhood. So I knew Ryan because of that. Growing up in the neighborhood with him, we all lived there since we were very young, you know, young elementary student. Uh, but I was more friends with his younger brother. His name was Tanner, or is Tanner. I know Justin because um, my older brother was really good friends with Justin's older brother named Pat. Pat's now deceased, unfortunately, but I met Justin shortly after he was stabbed. I think I was about 12. He was about 14, 15, around that age or something. And, you know, he was so cute and so charming and, and whatever. So a couple of years went by and then we reconnected in high school. I think he was working at Kuka's and I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So as everybody knows, you know, Justin was selling pot. <laughs> he knew everybody. He was friends with Southside Redlands kids, you know, as you mentioned in your, your earlier podcast, the Northside kids, which was actually his crew. He, you know, he hung around with a lot of the gangbangers, hippies knew him, everybody knew him. So that's my connection to him. Yeah, I was quite a bit younger, but I was buying pot from Justin and, and that's it. But he wasn't just my pot dealer. He was my friend too, because I knew him from when I was younger. And, you know, the way it all came about, Susie was spot on when she explained Justin and how he was, and he was a sweet person and and things like that. There was no question about that at all. But in regards to him trying to, you know, leave his lifestyle or whatever, that, that's inaccurate, <laughs> unfortunately. And how is it inaccurate? So obviously Susie's take on it was, yes, he was selling drugs, but he had had conversations with her uh, saying that he really didn't want to be a part of that lifestyle anymore and that he was wanting to make plans to move, uh, I think, with his father out of town, uh, out of Redlands at least. So from your standpoint, so why do you say he was not wanting to get out of that lifestyle? It sounds like he was, from your standpoint, very active and wanting to continue in that lifestyle. Absolutely. As mentioned before, you know, he also did sell methamphetamine. That wasn't my scene, but you know, it was, it was there, it was around. I saw Justin last, uh, maybe like three or four days before he went missing. And I went by his house to go say hello and go buy some pot. And he had the bigger room in the home. It was kind of like set off to the side in the house. And when I showed up to say hello, I had, you know, one of my girlfriends with me and we went to his room. 
And when we walked in the room, he had a friend there, and they immediately kind of stashed some, you know, some dope and some paraphernalia. Put it to the side and whatever. Oh, hey, hey, sweetie, how you doing? And Justin called everybody sweetie. All the girls sweetie. It was funny. But, you know, so we're talking. You know, I tell him what I'm there for. We're, you know, chit-chatting, whatever. And he's flying. He's he's talking a million miles an hour, and he's just talking. He's talking too much. And all I hear him say that really sticks out in my mind is, that means we get one free, homie. That means we get one free, six for five. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about right now? Because you keep talking about it. He's like, oh, don't worry about it, sweetie. I go, well, whatever it is, it doesn't sound right. What are you talking about? He goes, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we're just going to get, um, we're going to get six AKs for five pounds of weed. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Where the heck is that going to happen? Who do you know that can do that? So... I didn't speak with him for a couple of days and I was paging him, you know, cause I knew something was supposed to happen that day. So I paged him after school, no answer, paged him, paged him, you know, I was beeper. And I called his house several times, no one answered. Finally, his mom answered about nine o'clock, I think. Oh, I don't know. You know, Justin isn't here. He didn't leave me a note. He was always very respectable to his mother, regardless of what he was doing. I know. You know, it sounds contradictory, but he always would leave a note or something for her. Very considerate of her. She was a nice lady, total opposite of Justin, the way she lived. So I get a call about 10, 30, 11 o'clock from my brother. And he says, have you heard from Justin? Justin's missing. And I was like, oh, my God, I knew it. I knew something was wrong. Please call me as soon as you hear something. So about a half an hour later, his brother, Pat, calls me. And he says, okay, okay, you know, who do you know, name, Brian, Brian Banks, what was it, like Brian Banks or Ryan Banks. And I'm like, I know a Ryan Banks, he lives around the corner from me. So they hauled ass to my house, my brother and Pat, and they picked me up and I, I drove them to Ryan's house to show them exactly where they lived. And they went to the door, nobody answered the door, it was dark, you know, and just he said, I have a really bad feeling about this. So, of course, as we know, he wasn't found, and, you know, everybody's worried. Every, everybody's in on trying to find Justin and, and give people tips and point them to where he might be. And so I remember showing up to the parents' house, you know, like, what can I do? And there was, like, a constant vigil there. The house was full of his friends at all times after the word was out that he was missing. A lot of love, for sure, people helping his parents and what have you. So his mom was pretty withdrawn. However, his stepfather, Dale, was pretty active in searching for Justin. Dale was a cool dude, but he was a weird dude. Very, very introverted, very smart man. I mean, you can imagine the type I'm talking about, like, smart. He was also an avid bird watcher, so that helped him in his, you know, we all know that he's the one that found Justin. Yeah, well, I, I do have a couple questions. So how did they know immediately to go looking for Ryan Bangs when Justin went missing? Pat had asked around some of his friends. You know, now that I think of it, it may have been the next day that he had asked me who it was, and I took them because he did say he was asking people around the school, and somebody had last mentioned that Justin had hopped in the back of a pickup truck and took off with these guys. 
So as soon as I heard that, I was like, these guys are weird. These guys are like ROTC guys. I didn't know Aaron at all. Like I've, I didn't even know his name. I've never seen his face or anything before any of this. I just knew about Ryan. And since I knew him in junior high, he was always walking around in these fatigues, you know, in this big backpack or a big jacket and just full metal jacket, you know, just not right. Right. And from what Susie said, you know, it sounds like it was an odd fit to see somebody like Justin hop in a car with Aaron and Ryan, right? Because it, it was not known that they were friends at all. Like That's probably the one crew he didn't hang around with. You know, they were outcasts. They were weird. After they realized he was missing the next day or something, you know, I was speaking to Pat and he's like, what do you know? What do you know? And so I told him, I told him when I was there, what Justin had told me, I'm like, he's got weed in this house. He has a sawed off shotgun in this house. And Pat and some of Justin's friends went and cleared everything out before the cops could pin Justin being a drug dealer. Pat's big thing is he didn't want them to take it less serious because he's a criminal as well. Yeah, I understand that. Definitely. Because it's kind of like, you know, when gangs, you know, gang members kill each other, it's kind of like, there's just like this thought that, well, that murder doesn't matter as much as, you know, the next innocent victim. So let's just not spend as much time on it. And I have no idea if that's a reality, but I think I can understand from a family member standpoint, just going, look, we don't want the police to not spend all the time that they should on finding justice for our loved ones. So I can understand them wanting to hide things and hide the fact that he was doing criminal activities. Absolutely. So, you know, the time went on, his stepdad unfortunately found him, you know, out in the hills of Beaumont. He was, he said that it was weird. I struck this friendship, like I said, with his dad, his stepdad, you know, like, it was just weird. He was this nice man and he was, hurt and we're all hurt and we're all trying to you know figure things out so he would talk to me and I would talk to him I mean I I left a lot of stuff out because again Pat was not only protecting Justin he didn't want his mom to know like what was really going on whether she had an idea or not nothing was ever confirmed for her you know what her son was doing so I held it back to myself but Dale told me that he was walking through the canyon and you know he he was out there just doing his thing, looking for Justin by himself. And he said he saw his footprints, his Reebok footprints in the sand, and that he, you know, followed them. And as he got closer, he saw Justin, and I believe he said he was his white pants and his Reeboks were, you know, he was face down, covered with bushes. And he said as soon as he saw his shoes, he didn't even approach any closer. He said he turned around and he ran. He just ran, and he ended up being, you know, like number one suspect, basically, because he found him. And I remember he was detained, questioned for hours and hours. Wow, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Ugh, that's so terrible. And in a, in a way, well, you know, you're, you're glad that he didn't take a closer look because obviously what Aaron did to Justin was just absolutely horrifying. And again, I think that's what haunts me the most about this murder is that what was the motive to do something so cold? I know people kill each other every day. I get it. But like usually you can find some reason why that person has a vendetta against the victim and that doesn't make it right. But there's just, so I I don't know if you have any insight or any theories as to what you think drove Aaron and Ryan to want to kill Justin. What are your theories or, or, or insight on that? 
I think it's a couple things. I think it's the matter of them, you know, possibly wanting to be heroes. Oh, we, we killed him to save the world. You know, he was dealing drugs. But I also think it's just that they're just weird. Maybe they were jealous. You know, like I said, he was a good looking guy. People liked him. Of course, he had his enemies, but girls liked him. He had money, things like that. We were teenagers. You know, you see these school shootings going on because maybe Justin made fun of them one time. I don't know. Their reasoning in the paper was quoted. They wanted to teach him a lesson because he sold drugs. Right. It's just so, it's senseless. You can't help but think just just reading up as much as I could on Ryan and Aaron. Obviously, both of them were definitely into guns, like more into guns than, you know, the usual kid their age. And um, you can't help but think that at least 50% of it was just that somebody wanted to kill somebody. They wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. That That was just kind of like the thought that I had. And obviously I didn't know Aaron. I didn't know Ryan, but from everything that I've gathered that I've read and just talking to different people who some went on the record or one went on the record, others didn't want to go on the record. Just really, I got the feeling that Aaron for the most part just wanted to kill somebody, you know, and it may have been, like you said, maybe that he wanted to be a hero. Maybe he was jealous. Maybe he thought he was doing society some good because, Oh, who cares about this guy? He's just a drug dealer. But I just can't help but think that a big part of it was just him wanting, he had a thirst to to kill somebody, as as crazy as that sounds. And now he's living the high life, living in a halfway house in Thousand Oaks, you know, being a a murderer in recovery, a recovering murderer. It doesn't make sense. You're exactly right. And I definitely want to get into that conversation. I do have one question for you, though, on Ryan. Since you knew Ryan, I got the sense that Aaron was the leader and like Ryan was the follower. But I mean, am I wrong? I mean, are you totally shocked that Ryan was a part of a murder? I'm, yeah, Ryan was a part of a murder no. or you're not. Okay. No, no, it wasn't surprising at all. You know, and I actually went to the I went to a couple days of the trial. I met up with Justin's stepdad, Dale, at the Riverside County Courthouse, downtown Riverside. The two days that we were there, what we saw was mostly Ryan's portion of the trial. I, I don't believe they were tried together, but I remember this mostly being surrounded around Ryan. And we sat, it was just Dale and I, sort of this, you know, in regards to family and our friends, whatever. It was us on the right side and the Bangs family on the left side. They were showing... I guess the interrogation room evidence and it showed, I don't remember if it showed them together or two separate videos, but I remember seeing both of them pacing around furiously in the, in the rooms, you know, just like caged animals. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw some video of the detectives that, and they took Ryan back out to the, the scene of the murder. And what was strange about this is uh, I remember my mom driving me to school one morning, a couple of days after Justin had gone missing. And as we were driving by, detectives were actually arresting Ryan. And he came out of the house with like some type of long sleeve flannel shirt on, but with no shirt underneath. And his ribs were taped. And I remember my mom making the comment of Justin put up a fight. And we went to the trial. We were watching where the detectives, you know, escorted Ryan out to the murder scene. And it had rained pretty hard for several days in between the time that Justin was found and, and that Ryan was arrested for a couple of days. And they take Ryan out there and they walk him out there handcuffed and he's actually still dressed like that. He's 
in this video, he's wearing that same flannel type shirt unbuttoned with no shirt underneath and his ribs are taped. So it was the same day. And they were kind of recounting of what happened, you know, and they just said, well, we were telling him we were going to go practice shooting these guns. And um, he's like, so, you know, he hopped out of the truck and he was walking in front of us and we were walking behind him. And he said, and we just got our guns ready to shoot at him. And he must have heard them because he turned around and he looked at us and we pointed our guns at him and he put up his arm, you know, to kind of like block his face or whatever, like you would. I mean, if you're trying to protect yourself and the last thing he said was, oh, God, no. And that was it. There was still a huge area of blood-soaked sand and it was incredible. That's so, so terrible to hear. So one part I was unclear on is I know for sure that Aaron leveled his gun and fired, I believe, six shots. So from what you're saying and what Ryan described, he also leveled his gun. But do you know if he took a shot as well? I remember them saying that they both shot, but I believe Aaron had a shotgun and Ryan had a 22 type rifle. So naturally, I mean, Aaron is going to do more damage. So that's all I really know. You know, I just know that he was very involved. His friends helped him try to protect his parents. I never really said anything to authorities because, you know, I'm, I'm young. You know, what are you doing here buying pot? And what do you know? And how do you know this? And, you know, his brother didn't really want any of it known. And I, I understand. I guess I respected that. But, yeah, I think about it a lot, just what happened. And not so much of the information that I know, but just that it happened. We were young. It's very impressionable, traumatic, you know, to happen to your friend. Oh, totally. And especially at that age. And, I mean, this case, this story had an impact on me when I was in high school and I didn't know anybody involved, but I had always heard about it. And there was just this like mystery surrounding it and this, this eeriness about it that you knew a murder had just recently happened within the last couple of years. And it was in Redlands and it involved, you know, Redlands high school students. So like I said, you know, when I did launch the podcast, I wanted to dive into it and find out what happened because it had an impact on me and I didn't even know anybody involved. So I can't even imagine people like you and Susie, you know, were friends with Justin and um, yeah, it, it, that, that impact lasts forever. And it's, it's just tragic. It, it didn't need to happen. You know, it's interesting to talk to you because you saw Ryan go out with the detectives to the crime scene and here he is saying, you know, I had a gun, I leveled my gun, but I know at one point Ryan was trying to sell a story to the detectives that, oh, I didn't know he was going to shoot, but when he did, I obviously didn't do anything about it because I was scared he would shoot me too kind of thing. Like basically like I just thought we were going out there to trade guns for money. I had no idea my friend Aaron was going to pull a gun out. But it sounds like Ryan had more involvement than I really was aware of. They had to have because, like I said, Justin was under the impression that he was going out there to buy or to trade AK-47s, not a shotgun, not a twenty-two rifle. So, I mean, Ryan, he had to have talked with at least one of them at one point about it. It's all crap. It really sucks. I mean, a life was lost. These others are ruined. And this guy's out of prison. I don't understand. The whole thing that made me, the way I found you, actually, is because recently, you know, within 10 years, I believe, of Justin's murder, there was a couple more out here. 
one of a young man who stabbed his brother 44 times. And there was one of these kids who killed their friend, dismembered him, and shoved him in a sewer. I remember that one. Yeah, these murderers were up for parole recently within the past month of, of the time that I contacted you. And it just made me Google, you know, Justin, murder, um, Ryan, Aaron. I kind of was actually looking more into what was going on with Aaron at this time. And then I found your podcast and I listened. And I was like, that girl is right. She's got a very sunshiny story about Justin. He was great. He was charming. He was kind, things like that. But, you know, there's more. And it really wasn't so much about saying what Justin was up to, but that's a main part of the story into getting to Ryan and Aaron and how they set him up to kill him. Oh, yeah. Because either way you look at this, even if Justin was a hardcore drug dealer, and let's just say he wanted that life and he had no plans of of leading it, that he still was a good person by all accounts. He still was a good brother, you know, from what I've heard and a good friend and just a good person overall and absolutely did not deserve anything close to what happened to him. I mean, he was completely set up. This was a cold-blooded planned murder. I mean, it's, and it kills me not to get too graphic, but Aaron, he had a chance to stop. Justin, you know, said, Oh God, no, he, he was scared. And that's the part that Very. just absolutely, yeah, he was scared for his life on the ground. He's not a threat to anybody after the first shot. He wasn't even a threat after the second shot, but he just continued shooting. He wanted him dead and it's just disgusting. And like you said, as we all know, Aaron is out of prison because governor Jerry Brown passed a law or a bill in 2013, I believe that basically says that, Hey, if you were a juvenile and you were convicted of, you know, first or, or sentenced to life in prison, we can take a look, we can re-examine your sentence and give you a lighter sentence. And that's exactly what Aaron got. And he got out of prison. And like you said, he's living in a halfway house. A good friend of mine has run into him a couple of times at a very popular restaurant in Redlands. She's actually spoken to him he goes in there with his family. He's laughing. He's having a good time. I hear from another person uh, who knows him. He's got a girlfriend and he's making good money right now. He's got a job paying $80,000 a year. Now, again, I can't say that it's fact. This is hearsay, but it's just incredible. And I can't imagine what that does, the mind screw that it does for Justin's family, because they thought Phew, you know, he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. So at least we have that solace. We know we're never going to have to come across him again. And can you imagine getting that phone call saying, oh, wait, just kidding. He's actually getting out. No. And Justin still has family who lives in Redlands. Yes. It's terrible. Aaron comes from a family that has money, as you know. And I can't help but think that that's why he was able to work the system and get out of prison. Whereas you've got Ryan, and I don't know all the details, but I do know that Ryan was denied release last year, uh, I think in October of last year. And then they said that he, in 10 more years, he would have another chance at parole. So it sounds like Ryan's going to be locked up for at least another nine or 10 years, but still, you know, the thought that he might get out as well. Absolutely. Well, I guess all we could do is live on a hope and a prayer that this man is rehabilitated. You know, I don't, I don't trust it. It's very unfortunate. You know, he was a couple of months out of being 18 years old, I believe, you know, not, not too far, but he fell into that gray area where these bullshit legislations worked in his favor. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I do believe there are people who commit pretty horrible crimes. And I do believe that some of those people can be rehabilitated and 
and some of them deserve a second chance. This one is a tough pill for me to swallow. And I'm sure for many people, um, again, I didn't know Aaron. I, he could have some really good aspects to him. I'm, I'm not saying that he might, that he doesn't, but it was the, one of the coldest murders that I've come across. It's, it really was. It just almost made me think like he's subhuman. And then I think if he's subhuman, can he be re- rehabilitated? I don't know. I hope so, obviously, but it just doesn't seem fair. doesn't seem right. And I just feel so badly for Justin's family. Me too. Absolutely. You know, again, his brother, they were all his biggest fan. You know, he was the star of the family. And unfortunately, his brother isn't here anymore to help the family and, and be the man, you know? So that's another thing that's sad. It was sad losing him too, even though, you know, our friendship was nice and it was close, but, you know, we lived our own lives because there was such an age gap. However, I know that I helped their family and they helped me and my brother, you know, through all of it. Because again, my brother knew Justin from the time he was younger too. And just, it's terrible. It is. And I'm really sorry for your loss. I know that that's got to be so hard. I mean, it's always hard when a loved one dies, but to die in that way, you know, it just, it's just, it's not fair. And his life was cut short for no reason, for absolutely no reason. So I think that's the part that just incenses me. And I think a lot of other people too, and it, it will be interesting to see what happens with Ryan and also what happens with Aaron, you know, we'll see if he stays on the straight and narrow yeah, he's he's definitely out and about in Redlands. I do know that. But um, first of all, I appreciate your insight so much. I'm, I'm really, really glad, especially after talking to you, that we connected. Because this is a story. It's not just a story. It's real life. But it's just something that uh, it pops into my head often. I think about it a lot. If I had the opportunity to speak to Aaron and or Ryan, I would just want to know really what was it? Like truly, what was it? Why'd you have to do it? What drove you to do that? And how do you feel about it today? And I would also want to know if Ryan and Aaron have been in contact. I've always wondered that, you know, they seem like they had a pretty tight bond. I don't know if that's something that's prohibited or if there's a way that's around it or what have you. But yeah, I've thought about that over the years as well, because a reconnection wouldn't be a good thing. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. So yeah, I just, just curious. It sounds like definitely that, you know, as far as Justin definitely being in that life and from what you're saying, it sounds like he was definitely, you know, still wanting to be in that life and not trying to get out. I wonder if he was so close to Susie. I mean, they were really, really close. They dated at one point and then they just were really close friends and he trusted her. I wonder, mm-hmm. and she was so opposite of that lifestyle as, as I think, you know, Um, I wonder if mm-hmm. he one, if he was just telling her that because he cared about her and didn't want her to really know what was going on because it would break her heart. Or I wonder if he really truly was telling her his, his real thoughts, like inside he really wanted to get out of that lifestyle, but maybe he wasn't taking steps to do so. I wonder. Well, I feel that there's truth in in both parts of that. You know, again, she wasn't part of that life. You kind of keep people that you care about at bay with stuff like that. You know, you don't want them to see that bad side of you or that evil side of you, just like his family didn't know. But I do know that Justin was working towards a goal. You know, he worked at Kuka's. He was saving his money. He helped his family. I mean, his ultimate goal was to get out of it. However, at the time, it was not the case. Got it. You know, unfortunately, he he just didn't make it out. He had good intentions. Mm-hmm. With, if that makes sense, he had good intentions for his future and his family. 
but it makes perfect sense. It wasn't soon enough. And you know what? It makes perfect sense. And and also too, let's just be reminded, you know, Justin was a teenager. We were all teenagers once. Our brains are not fully formed. We do things that are pretty irrational, even though we think that we're doing the right thing. So in the example of Justin, you know, he was selling drugs. He was making money. That money was helping his family. Yes, I'm sure there are other ways that are better to make money and, and legal um, and safer to help your family. But at the end of the day, he was doing something in his heart that he knew was helping his family. And sure, I'm, I think he went about it the wrong way, I'm sure, you know, um, and, and it cost him his life. But you know, like you said, his intentions were, were good. They absolutely were. I think that's why he had so many people that were, you know, like I said, that he was friends with everybody. He did have a good heart. He wasn't a person with ill will. He would help you if you needed it. And again, his family, you know, they live on the south side of Redlands. We go back to this, they had a, a big home over near the cemetery, but they weren't a south side family. You know, they had bills. And of course, you know, again, yeah, you can go work at fast food, working in Cupid, which he did. He did have that legitimate job. But, you know, realistically, how much money can an 18-year-old be making when they're trying to support a household? Exactly. Oh, you said that Justin was working toward a goal. What was that goal? It was just to be able to provide for his family, save enough money, and eventually eventually move out of that. You know, that was something he said he didn't want to do forever. I know he wanted to travel. I know he wanted to do stuff for his younger sister and just things like that. He was a family-oriented man. I mean, I think he was just saving for his future in general, but he was building up that nest so he could be comfortable until that could start happening. And see, these are the things that people forget about because I've gone online and read some of the online forums about Justin's murder. And some people say some really horrible things. Now, obviously, these are probably people who really didn't know Justin like you did, like Susie did, like his family did. And they're just saying, well, he was a drug dealer. Who cares? You know, I've, I heard somebody or I saw that somebody wrote that. And it breaks your heart because when you really break it down, yeah, some drug dealers are bad people and they're out there harming other people and doing all kinds of things. But was Justin breaking the law? Absolutely. Was what he was doing unsafe? Absolutely. But was he a good person? Absolutely. And he had good intentions Absolutely. and he was not out there trying to physically harm anybody. Yes, I understand that drugs do harm people when they're taken. And But you know, again, when you're a teenager, you're not thinking about that part. It sounds like Justin was thinking of, well, I'm going to make money selling these drugs and I'm going to help my family. So again, you know, his intentions were good and you know, you can't just paint every drug dealer, you know, with a broad stroke. You can't just all say, well, who cares? You know, they're drug dealers. They're bad people. Well, you know, not always. Yeah, he wasn't out holding people at gunpoint. He wasn't out, you know, robbing people, harming people. I mean, I know he got in fights. Of course he did. As far as I know, it was never because of, I mean, people fought. They were still fighting then. They weren't shooting each other. That's how people handled their problems. So true. Yeah. And Susie and I, I'm sure you heard in the episode, we kind of got into a brief discussion about how meth, uh, we called it speed back then, was just like the drug at Redlands High School. I mean, it was very popular. Oh, it absolutely was. It wasn't even just at high school. I mean, I was in junior high and it was there, but, you know, we went to junior high, it was seventh, eighth and ninth graders. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. they were a little bit older, but yeah, I mean, it's like it, it was everywhere. And it's unfortunate. I still see some of the same old zombies walking around town here in Redlands. Like, wow, you never like got over that. But yeah, it was a big thing. It was a big thing. Yeah, it was. And, and, and it was the poor kids and the rich kids were doing it. 
the South side kids, you know, with the money, a lot of them were doing it, you know, they could afford to keep doing it. And, um, yeah, it was, just, it was terrible. I had a lot, a lot of friends that kind of went down that path and they were doing it together too. <laughs> they were all doing it together at the parties. You have the rich ones with the, you know, whatever, but yeah, I guess it was a thing to do. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, I really, really have enjoyed talking to you. And again, I, you know, I'm really, really sorry for your loss. I know that this has got to be hard. It's probably really hard for you to talk about even to this day. Um, cause you had a connection with Justin and it sounds like he was a good friend to you and, but it, you definitely offered more insight because I still was searching for answers and I still am, you know, there's, I think there's always going to be questions, you know, that we're going to have that may ne- never be answered, but you definitely provided a lot more insight and made, made it a lot more 3d for me. So I, you know, I appreciate that and appreciate you being open and sharing, you know, what you knew. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, most definitely. I appreciate your time as well. And I really enjoy what you're doing too, listening to your podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't be shy. Tell a friend. The word of mouth is powerful. You can follow the podcast on social media, on Twitter at Murderish Pod, and on Facebook at Murderish Podcast. I have a closed group set up for us to discuss all things murderish. If you'd like to take your support for the podcast a step further, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash murderish. If you choose to become a patron, you'll get some extra perks in exchange. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash murderish. Murderish merchandise is also available at two online stores. Links to the online stores are available in show notes and in the about section of the Murderish podcast Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.